Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today's guest is a little different. Danielle Flood is a communications manager at ECHO, an international organization that works to find innovative and sustainable ways for small-scale farmers around the world to improve their harvests, reducing global hunger and poverty. She has traveled to more than 20 countries while championing agricultural development through hands-on training and knowledge sharing. Danielle, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So how long have you been working with Echo? I am going on 14 years here at Echo. I had no idea it would turn into, you know, my career, but it's been mm-hmm. an amazing growing opportunity to serve small scale farming families around the world. Mm-hmm. Now you guys are a nonprofit. So is most of your uh, revenue come from fundraising or is there, you know, the, 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 the programs you offer, does revenue come from in from that as well? We are primarily supported by individuals. So people hear about Echo's mission, get excited about it and donate. We're Mm -hmm. also supported by churches, uh, family foundations and civic groups, you know, clubs and organizations Mm -hmm. that want to partner as well. Um, Some of our um, earned income does come from like our farm tours and our retail um, bookstore and nursery too. All right. Very cool. So why don't you give folks an overview of kind of like, um, what you guys do, because, you know, there's so many organizations out there that are helping people around the world, but you guys have such a unique way you do it. And, and the way you do it is one that's so passionate. I'm so passionate about. Yeah. Well, Echo works to equip small scale farmers all around the world. I think we've seen that trickle down um, doesn't actually trickle down to families. But if we can equip the 400 million small-scale farmers around the world to produce enough to help their families thrive, then they will be better contributors toward their community. And um, then communities can raise themselves up out of hunger and poverty. And there's an inherent dignity in that in being able to provide for yourself. And no one wants to just survive. You know, we're talking Mm -hmm. about Um, abundant crops, um, great diverse nutrition for families to grow strong, and then markets that have a diverse um, opportunity to grow different vegetables. So we do both the training, hands-on training side, where we have teams that go and equip people with different knowledge pieces. Um, And then we do resourcing, where if someone um, is already serving internationally and sees a gap, they can do research at the ECHO community website and then download documentation in uh, multiple languages and then share that around where they are. So ECHO fits this really unique gardening and agriculture niche to equip missionaries, uh, community leaders, Peace Corps volunteers, and anyone helping the poor all around the world. Mm. Now, you guys also provide and you do research on different plants and varieties as well. Talk a little bit about that. Okay. So uh, here in Florida, we have the Echo Global Farm and Research Center. And the idea um, was started more than 40 years ago to say if we can help people um, get connected to university research, if we can help people have access to 
variety trials or things that will help them in their farms, then that gets them a step closer to thriving. Mm. So at Echo Florida, we are subtropical, but just at the edge. So we can grow um, things like, you know, mango, longan, lychee, um, not quite breadfruit or rambutan, but um, here on the property, we do lots of um, like research, uh, research trials. We do variety trials of different uh, seeds and crops. And then we test things that we learn from around the world. So a technique that shows a lot of promise um, is only as helpful as a farmer can then, you know, try it. And Echo likes to be the, um, the risk taker so that in case this doesn't work, then we've taken the risk, not a farmer that's relying on the, the harvest to feed his family. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you talked about a couple of different crops. Are there any other like main families that you're working on? Do you guys do anything with rice or, you know, some of more of the um, carbohydrates or is it more usually like trees and, and more perennial plants? Um, it's a diverse collection. So we, because we specialize in the tropics and we try to um, specialize in underutilized crops, mm. we, um, you know, we don't, extensively research corn that's happening here in the U S but we do focus on green manure cover crops, maybe um, herbs and perennial vegetables that have potential, but maybe aren't as widely known. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we talk about in the U S like spinach is a really high iron nutrient crop. Um, But at echo in the tropics, you can grow five plants that have more iron than spinach. If you know about them, then maybe Mm. one of those could be an option for a family. So we do have a rice patty because we demonstrate the system of rice intensification. It's a, you know, a set of techniques that changes the traditional patty method a little bit and Mm. can produce 50% more rice on the same area. Oh, very cool. And, and then, so yes, we have fruit trees, we have um, annual crops. We do, you know, almost anything that can grow in the tropics. We try to demonstrate and teach it. Awesome. Do you have a favorite crop that you've kind of like been, been watching over the last year or so? Well, um, it's funny because echo has a couple crops that are our favorites that are coming in and out of Vogue, you know, um, echo has been teaching about Moringa, the tree, uh, perennial Mm -hmm. leaf for, for 40 years. And, um, then we hear it being the new superfood yeah. and, um, that's very exciting that it's getting, getting traction there. Um, I all already love millet and amaranth Mm -hmm. and using those flowers in different grains. Those have, you know, had a little, um, resurgence in the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. And then, um, personally, I just tasted imbe for the first time. I, like I said, been here a long time, but we had a crop of the imbe fruit um, that's, you know, it grows in West Africa in the rainy season. And I hadn't tried that before. So something new is always special to try here at Echo. Okay. And that, uh, is that, how's that, is it I-M-B-E? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so it kind of looks like, well, it's kind of almost like an apricot. Look, looks like an apricot. Yeah, it does. Some people say it looks like a loquat. Okay. Um, yeah. 
but uh, a colleague of mine grew up in West Africa and he said, oh, we used to find these. And so I've seen a couple references to them in the Sahel region of West Africa as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's only a very few amount of places that are actually even carrying those plants. Um, mm-hmm. Now, do you guys sell any of your nursery stock to people in the US or is it mostly just the trials and then that those products are going around the world to, to propagate? No, we do. Um, So it came out of training interns and staff here at the property. Um, When you propagate plants, you get plants. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we started a retail nursery. Unfortunately, we don't ship around the U.S., but if you're ever visiting Southwest Florida, I encourage you to come to the Echo Global Fruit Nursery. Um, We do specialize in the the same things that our mission is all about, edible tropicals. Some are perennials. We sell a lot of bamboos and then things that you won't find anywhere else. Oh, very cool. So then with that nursery, um, are you propagating? You're not doing any new varieties. You're more just doing variety trials and then taking the best and offering those. Right. Yes. So we have a seed bank where we Uh uh, save seeds. We share those um, because if we told someone like, hey, this imbe fruit is awesome. You would love it but they can't get it. It doesn't Uh help very much, you know? So we like to offer people access to it too. So if someone hears about a plant that has potential for them, they can request seeds. um, If they're an active development worker, we give those for free and then we sell them to um, any hobby farmers. Uh Um, We'd love to, to share those too. But the idea is that you can, you know, try something if it grows well in your environment, then you share it with your neighbors, see if people like to eat it. And then from there, you can save your own seeds. So we, we try to be a, you know, knowledge sharing mm-hmm. um, organization. And you probably then focus on heritage slash um, open pollinated. Yes. Um, we don't, you know, keep anyone from using whatever they have access to, especially if they're trying to feed their family. Um, but if you have open pollinated varieties, you can save your own seed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then that's good for both the environment, the community and the, the bottom line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so like for your seed banks, are you constantly bringing in new varieties from like partners all around the world to see how they, they interact or how are you keeping those uh, up to date? Some I could. Um, yeah, maybe your next interview should be our seed bank manager. She's fascinating. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so we do get seeds donated to us and we test those in you know limited capacity. Some we've been propagating for years. We know how they grow. We know those varieties that are documented. Um, uh, the seed bank has different accessions. And I should mention, we ha- also have seed banks in Thailand and Tanzania. Okay. So if people request seeds in Asia, those come from our Asian seed bank. They're, you know, more adapted to the environment. Yeah. You know, more more common for those communities as well. Yeah. Now your impact centers are in those same locations. And I think Burkina Faso as well. That's right. Yep. And so what, tell me what, what's the operation in an impact center like? Well, if you can imagine um, a center in Florida can only reach so far. Uh, Mm -hmm. We started with like snail mail, answering people's questions, then email multiplied what we could do. But after 9-11, it was clear that people weren't traveling as much to the U.S. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to keep reaching people with the resources that we had. You know, you you sit on gold. You don't um, Mm -hmm. you don't want to keep it to yourself. So 
We started our first impact center in 2009. That was in Thailand. And then shortly thereafter, we're able to open the centers in Tanzania and Burkina Faso. And those are really to, to get the resources closer to those who need them. Mm. Uh, you know, we could do trainings here. We could do the occasional training around the world from here. But it just made a lot more sense to be culturally appropriate and be mm. in that context. Our staff are of various ethnicities, so they speak various languages and can connect. And then they know the, the you know, the challenges that farmers face and they know the um, the ways in which uh, that information can be communicated most effectively. So it's been amazing to me to see that growth and to see how, you know, since 2009, so we're just talking, you know, a little more than a decade. Um, last year, we were able to train more than 5,000 people around the world through our impact centers. Mm. And that's hands-on face-to-face training, even in you know, a pandemic um, mm-hmm. cycle where we were doing smaller groups and um, social distancing. So yeah, it's just exciting to connect with farmers. We have, um, you know, some tried and true techniques that work in their context and they just hadn't heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now let's talk about those techniques too, because I know that's another aspect is obviously sharing the right varieties, but the right way you raise them too is important. Is there specific, you know, methods or principles that you guys kind of like say frame kind of your growing or your, 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 your production systems that you like to talk about? Yes. I mean, um, in general, we prefer to use conservation agriculture techniques because we were Hmm. talking about people with Um, you know, little um, investment capacity, they're working on the same land, they're not going to be able to, you know, fallow areas. Um, The idea is how can we build the soil to then create healthy crops and healthy humans, they're all linked, okay. So um, we have in our farm in Florida, seven distinct growing regions as diverse as the, the edges of the tropics. So we have a hillside demonstration. We have a hot, humid lowlands where that's where the rice paddy is. So Mm -hmm. too much water is their challenge. We have a monsoon that demonstrates a Caribbean or even the Florida um, environment. So we have distinct dry and wet seasons. You have to deal with both. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a semi-arid region, which is hard to demonstrate in Southwest Florida, but in the winter, that's our kind of semi-arid season. Okay. And, um, so that's a place like uh, Niger or, you know, central West Africa, where they get less than 30 inches of rain per year. And it's all in one rainy season. So how do you conserve mm. uh, moisture the most? Um, that's where our millet demonstration is. Then we have a rainforest demonstration, how to use multi-storied agriculture and work within that context. And we have an urban garden. And so if you had a very small backyard, a lanai, a porch, or a rooftop even, how could you grow enough food to feed your family in a very small space? And then the last one is not, um, you know, city or climate, it's a community garden and that brings people together. So how can Mm. we connect with one another, teach our kids, uh, you know, school groups, church groups, nonprofits, and communities how can we come together and feed those around us that, that need nutritious food and need enough food? 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That is fascinating. So on some of those, I'm, I'm just trying to think through how you create the op, uh, the actual physical environments, obviously the hillsides just, you know, steep, the dryness, is just more of a season because you can't obviously prevent the rain from coming down in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to come, come tour. It's a, it's yes. a fascinating tour. So, um, yes, we do have, um, uh, elevation 25 Hill here in South Florida in the flatland. Okay. Um, the rainforest has multi-story trees. The semi-arid used to be in, um, like a hoop house, but oh, now okay. yep. uh, they did that for a long, long time. And then, um, some of it is more like plant selection. What could you plant there? Mm-hmm. Um, adapted techniques. So we have some water conservation spaces, zyholes and half moons in the semi-arid. Yep. We yep. have trellises in the rainforest to show how you can grow up rather than just um, along the ground. Yep. And then in the urban garden, we grow food in tires and swimming pools and old carpets and feed sacks. Uh, you name it, you can grow food in it. And it's pretty, pretty passion exciting. Really cool. So I'm assuming that a lot of emphasis is put on organic matter and carbon um, rich uh, soil, correct? Yes. So we, we try to use all the resources that a small scale farmer would have access to. Um, that doesn't, you know, eliminate uh, some fertilizers that grow, you know, are available, but yeah. when you, you can't afford fertilizer or you don't want to afford fertilizer, um, animal manures, compost, worm tea, chicken tea, uh, we try to, well, because we're an educational institution as well, we want to show people mm-hmm. the whole gamut. Like how can you most efficiently build the soil, build nutrients, keep investing in, in the crops around you. And then they, you know, then they pay off. So I love where you can see, um, you know, the goats over here and then we're harvesting their manure and we're putting that in the compost and the compost goes in the, you know, plot over here. And then we feed the people and feed the goats. And then you just see the system working around and around. Mm-hmm, 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 absolutely. Hey, Michael here with another tip with a harvest host. Now, Molly, we were talking about how, let's say you've got a farm, but you don't have like a farm store, just how easy it is to set one up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, one of the requirements we ask of our harvest host um, locations is to have products to sell. And the reason we do that is because we don't charge our members and we don't allow our host locations to charge our members for that overnight stay. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that the relationship is, you know, duly beneficial. So our members are, you know, coming in, staying overnight for free, but what we ask of them and what we encourage them to do in our member code of conduct is to spend a minimum of $20 at each each of these host locations. When in reality, they actually spend around $50 um, on average at each stay. So our farms who maybe don't have that general store, don't have a product to sell, decide, oh, I guess I'm not a good fit for Harvest Host. So what we've kind of done to support those farms is encourage them to set up a farm stand to sell products, um, maybe from around the area that they can sell on behalf of other partners of theirs or vendors. Uh, Michael, I think you had a specific example of a host location that may have done that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've set up ourselves a self-service farm stand and it's, it's very profitable. We bring in thousands of dollars a week through that. Um, and I think this, the biggest thing is that you need power. 
Um, because mm -hmm. if you're putting out fresh produce or meat or eggs or milk is that you've got to have a double, like a fridge. Um, and we just went and bought used double door glass fridges. Um, they're like 1500 to $2,000. So at the beginning, it might be a little bit of an investment, but when we fill that thing with all of our vegetables, we have local milk, we got local eggs, we've got local honey. Um, we've got mushrooms in there. And so people can come any day. Well, we have set hours, but it's all self-service and uh, they can buy the products. Um, I think the thing, the second two thing is what you said is local products. It doesn't have to be your products is you can support the local farming community. I mean, we have six or seven different vendors. We work here locally of different local farmers that we're able to feature, which is super awesome. So maybe you only have like flowers, but you could easily put in a little fridge or you could just put a table out there with like a sweet corn or something like that, which of course works very, very well. Um, another thing too, is keep the, keep it simple. We've actually created a use a, an iPad with some specialized software, which works quite well. So they can check out through that and use credit card and cash. Um, and that also allows us to keep inventory uh, line of sight on exactly what we sell. And then the fourth thing I would recommend is just have a simple security camera. Um, you can use Ring. Ring has a, you know, that video doorbell. It's really cheap. And that just hooks into a Wi-Fi network. And then you can see exactly who's in there, what they're doing, and uh, keeps them safe and you safe and just keep a, you know exactly what's going on in there. Yeah, it's great. Super creative ways to, you know, still do the Harvest Host program, get members in to be able to stay and, you know, purchase that produce yeah. or whatever you're selling. But then also I love the idea of supporting other farmers in the area and other vendors in the community that might need, you know, that additional help. Yeah. And our, our stand is an old transit bus. We bought an old transit bus. We stripped cool. it out. That is what the stand is. You can use a shed. You could use a corner of your barn. There's so many options, a garage. I've seen multiple people use this old garages they've got on property. So all sorts of options. Awesome. Yeah. We love the creativity and we're here to also support that conversation. If, you know, farms have questions or concerns about how to become a location, if they don't have the obvious products to sell that they think they might need. Absolutely. Very cool. Now, another area of focus at Echo is the use of appropriate technology. How does that play out in the U.S. and the various international locations? Well, I've heard a couple different things. One, um, if you're trying to start an agricultural program, it starts slow. It can only grow as fast as the plants. So if you can also partner that with a, you know, small technology that will reduce, um, some of the manual labor or the drudgery or improves the, the quality of a certain product, then you're kind of working at two speeds at the same time. Also, we see globally that, um, you know, food, water, and shelter are great needs. And so you can grow food in the most um, creative ways possible. But unless that field of tomatoes gets to market or gets to the people who need to eat it, you're not helping the farmer or the community. Mm. And so post-harvest technology is very, very important. And we wanna avoid crop loss. We wanna avoid pests. We want to help people turn um, maybe their ugly tomatoes into tomato paste for a you know mm -hmm. another profitable income. Um, we want to help women and girls not have to walk so far for cooking um, sticks. And so using an improved cook stove limits that, you know, we want to help people have healthier um, bodies by helping them purify their water or move the water from one place to another. Um, appropriate technology is so diverse. It could be a smartphone app 
or mm-hmm. a check valve that you make out of PVC and rubber. Um, so it, it can really run the gamut, but it, it comes down to helping this food make the most impact. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about the stove. What's, what's the kind of technology behind that? Well, we have lots of different kinds of stoves. The one, um, the first one that comes to mind is a rocket stove. Mm-hmm. It yep. has an improved um, ratio of all the words that I'm not going to say correctly. So please don't judge me on my rocket stove vocabulary. But it's <laughs> totally um, fine. Basically, when you put the fuel in, it has this elbow that efficiently burns the fuel and the uh, the smoke, okay. and the fire goes right onto the pot. So you're losing less if you compare the rocket stove to a three stone fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just much more efficient. If you partner that with a pot skirt, mm-hmm. then you're even more efficient. And so your water is boiling faster. Your food is cooking more efficiently and you can use smaller twigs, Mm. which means you're looking not as far for logs when you're out searching for fuel wood. Mm -hmm. Um, There are many other kinds of stoves that have been, you know, researched, improved. um, And it depends on the context. So we want to have a different, you know, a set, a selection of kinds of stoves where someone can come to echo and say, that I can do that. We have this resource or we have that, this would go well in our community. Mm-hmm. And how can, um, how can that, then I use these technologies to then, you know, work among my community and improve lives. Because when they have to travel less for cooking wood, they have more time to do other things like work in their gardens and that sort of thing. It's true. And the safety, you know, the further mm-hmm. you out, go out from the village, the, you know, more you're at risk. Mm. of um random violence um fight you know weather you you name it if we can um just make lives a little better for people then families can thrive Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um talk a little bit about the how echo got started because it's been you've been now in existence for over 40 years yeah so um it's interesting how you know, God puts a path in mind. Our Echo has two founders and neither of them thought this would become as big as it's been. Um, so a businessman took a trip to Haiti and he caught a vision of poverty that he never knew existed. You know, you can think mm. about poor people around us in the United States. And then sometimes um, it just doesn't click until you see it firsthand where there is no safety net. Um, you know, no recourse, one failed harvest is starvation. It's not just bankruptcy, you know, it, mm, it can yeah. be um, very, very troubling. And so Dick Duggar came home from Haiti with this idea, like these are agriculturalists, but yet they're not um, making enough food to feed their family. How can mm-hmm, we help them? Mm-hmm. And so he got the idea, but he was a convener. So he brought people together from agriculture, from community development, um, botanists, you know, some professors and said, how can we help and started this vision. And Dr. Price came along and he had been wrestling with this. How can we use, um, you know, gardening science and technology to help the poor. And so together in 1981, Echo um, kind of flourished here in in Southwest Florida. Um, We rented this land for a dollar a year from a church and they started, uh, you know, doing experimenting, learning from agriculturalists. Uh, they had a textbook, the underutilized plants of the tropics, 
And that became kind of the start of the seed bank. And these strategies have just developed over the years. Um, the, the property started at five acres and now we have, you know, almost 55 oh, wow. and um, we're doing, you know, much more than, and then they ever admitted they thought would happen, but um, God continually gives us opportunity to share, to teach um, and to multiply what we have learned. And we keep learning from creative farmers all around the world. And we are inspired by, you know, family farmers, cultivators, teachers, um, mentors here in the US. And then uh, it's interesting because a lot of retired farmers come down on a visit to Southwest Florida, just, you know, in the winter, because it's wonderful mm -hmm. here. And they say, Echo, this makes total sense. And it, and it comes full circle. So then you see people volunteering at the Echo Global Farm and spreading the word. And um, then a new generation hears about this kind of work. And, and, you know, if me as a mother, I want to see people invest in my children and help them have healthy lives. It's um, something that we can do for others around the world too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now you guys have an extensive online community for overseas workers. Talk to us a little bit about how that works. Yes. So um, because not everyone can come to Florida, echocommunity.org was launched about, you know, six, eight years ago. And it is a hub, a networking and information hub for anybody who wants to serve the poor in agriculture. We keep all of our documentation on there so you can research by topic, by plant, by technique, by region of the world, um, by climate. Um, we have things like a green manure cover crop selector tool. We have forums. We have um, our seed uh, resources, plant information sheet, best practice notes. I feel like a, an infomercial, but um, the idea is if we can make people's jobs easier, connecting with small-scale farmers, if we can resource them in multiple languages. Um, recently, we launched a, um, a web app. So an, you, we have a smartphone app that you can download and curate the information you want to keep that's applicable. And then when you're in the field with someone you're talking to, you say, oh, you could take this document. You mm. can use a file transfer protocol without internet and share. Oh, and so, so our... Cool. Information is open source. You know, we want to make it freely accessible for anyone who's working to, to help the poor. And then knowledge, the more you share it, the more it builds. So if someone listening wants to, you know, research on echocommunity.org, share what they know with our forums, then it's, you know, full circle again. We get to invest what we've learned and then learn from others. And the cycle goes on and on. Very cool. Very cool. So how can someone be a part of the online or in-person ECHO training? Well, um, we sometimes have events here in Southwest Florida. So um, if there's something coming up, um, spring, fall, you know, we have those going on. Um, also, we have online events, which would be accessible throughout the United States and globally. One coming up is called our East Africa Symposium. That is in late September. It's a virtual conference. And so um, if we go to conference.echocommunity.org, okay. we can learn more about that conference and our East Africa Symposium. 
And because of COVID and because of um, technology being the way it is, we are able to connect virtually and have online discussion groups, keynote speakers, lightning talks that focus on agriculture of all types, uh, appropriate technology, tropics, fruit trees, um, and then, you know, culture and development. So we do encourage people to check out ECHO trainings. Some are free, some are for a small fee. Um, and that just, it gets invested back into the mission. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And then you guys also have tours. Talk about how that works. Yep. In Southwest Florida, uh, we have an hour and a half walking tour of the farm. Um, it's amazing. It's inspiring for every age, I think. It's fun to see kids who have never seen rice growing, mm. or um, we get people who are traveling on vacation and they just didn't, they haven't seen a mango or a pineapple. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's fun to introduce that to people. But then the simple techniques that improve can improve agriculture are very exciting to share. And so you walk around the seven different regions of the farm, see the goats and the bunnies and um, taste a couple fruits and vegetables along the way. And it's a, it's a great experience for all ages. Very cool. Very cool. And it's echonet.org is your main website. And then the conference is conference.echocommunity.org. Yes. So yeah, come learn about Echo. We'd love to have you. Um, we're also on Facebook and Instagram if you want to follow us that way. And anything we can do to equip farmers all around the world to help the poor, Echo wants to do that. So feel free to reach out. Yeah. And also, if you want to donate, you guys have a couple different levels. You've got gift of seeds, keyhole gardens, some really cool stuff that people can sponsor or donate to. So check that out as well. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Danielle. It's been fascinating learning about how Echo operates and all the cool work you've been doing. I've been following you, I don't know, for how many years now. And uh, we're always just... Um, uh, excited about what you do. And when I retire, I'm sure you'll be seeing a lot of me. <laughs> so there you go. Yes. Thank you so much. It's not going to be for a few decades, but <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you'll see me before then, but <laughs> that yeah. sounds great. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.